0: want to make sure they have the mic on uh, because sometimes when I preach they turn it off. written notes to Adam about announcing the, uh, and I forgot that they can't, only Peggy can read my writing. And uh, so Bob Walsh's open house is going to be at the Sunshine Center in Farmer City, Illinois from 2 to 4 p.m. next Sunday September the 8th. Bob's 100th birthday will be Thursday, September the 5th. Every time people would talk to Bob at the restaurant, they'd always say, Bob, take care of yourself. And he'd always stop and say, man, if I hadn't been taking care of myself, I wouldn't have reached close to 100 years of of age. So 100 years is a lot more. In just thirty years at Clinton's, so Bob, have your son have him stand up. Let's give Bob Walton. Hundred years old. Hundred years old. I can remember calling on you in the hospital at the old Mennonite Hospital. You remember that, Bob? I don't know if you remember. I called on him, and he said, if I make it through this, Kent, I'm going to start coming to church. 30 years, he comes every Sunday, drives all the way from Farmer City, Illinois. Well, I have a lot of memories, but I'm not going to share all of them with you. I was going to share some with some of my friends, but they're not here today, so no need to waste time. Uh, I would have thought my youth minister for 20 years would dismiss church at Little Galilee and bring him in here out of that heat. But I forget their activities room now where they hold church out there on family camp. It's air conditioned, so they're not going to come in here today. And uh, just shows you who your real friends are. Thank you for being my real friends today and being here. have my daughter and my twin granddaughters uh, recent rumor with me today to celebrate our special day I remember when we moved here and uh, school already began and they told my daughter that she'd be going to school clear across town third grade wasn't it Jill your third grade when you were first here I said well that's funny there's a school just a block from the parsonage they said yeah but we divide them up well I talked to somebody but they said, it's okay, she can go, go to school a block away. So that's, that's why Lincoln School's always been blessed in this community. All that week, Rumor had been busy in the Capitol. Oh, not my twin granddaughter, Rumor. She's out here in the fifth row. Excited crowds were parading the streets. One word was upon every lip. The king. The king of the Jews. Where did it originate? No one seemed to be quite sure. Maybe from the pilgrims from Galilee who had come into the city the Sabbath before shouting Hosanna, Hosanna. Rumor was flying all around the city. Any further news? Where can he be hiding? Has anyone seen him? The church courts that were in session debated it. The Roman garrison got wind of it and doubled the guards patrolling the streets at night. Everywhere the rumor was flying. The king. And then it all turned out to be a hoax. The coming king? Why, have you not heard? Don't you know who he is? It's that wandering preacher from Nazareth who, who made a scene at the temple the other day. Poor deluded soul. A carpenter's apprentice for a king. And with that, the hopes that had been dashed turned to anger. He will suffer for this. Arrested already, is he good? He will die for it. And down the streets to Pilate's palace, they poured to see what was going to happen. And inside... Pilate and Jesus were face to face. Pilate had heard the rumors about the king. His sleep had been uneasy for over a week now. And now there was the man right square in front of him. Pilate, looking at him, questioning him, almost began to feel that there was something in the rumor after all. He half believed It was really true. And yet, how could it be? Who are you? He burst out at last. Tell me, are you the king? Then quietly but searchingly it came. The question of Jesus that goes right to the very root of all religion. For Jesus said, is that your own idea? Or did others talk to you about me? But let's leave Pilate now. For this is Christ Jesus' question to every one of us today. And we must face it. The words that we sang this morning are they really our words? Or simply something we have heard from past. From our parents or our grandparents. Did you really mean it when you said, To God be the glory. Great things he has done in my life. On Sunday mornings, do you really believe it when we cry out, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Did you mean it when you sang, I will sing of my Redeemer and His wondrous love for me. Do you really believe that He paid the debt and made you free? Is it to you really sweet to trust in Jesus and and not in yourself? Can you really sing as you did today and really mean it, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him. Are they your own words and thoughts? Or are you just duly repeating what has been told to us by others? Is it first-hand experience or second-hand tradition? Now let's be honest. I remember one of my first hospital calls when I came, a couple of them. I remember, maybe I'm not right on the years, Debbie, but I went and saw this. Somebody had a baby. Reynolds was her name. And I looked around, and there were people in there that said, uh, where's the mother? <laughs> and this little girl says, I am the mother. <laughs> she still looks young after 30 years, doesn't she? I remember calling on Becky Glynn at Carl Hospital, and of her faith, and of her, and of her honesty, and, and how she was handling her cancer. Coming home and thinking, is, is she real? Is this a put-on? Is this simply repetition of what she has heard on television or from church or something else I found out? She was real. Let's be honest, we've seen the light that comes into human eyes with the birth of real experience. The soul that grows radiant, full of tenderness and of peace and of attractiveness, through a discovery of the of the friendship of Jesus. And I've seen Debbie go through a lot and keeping her faith strong. I've seen Becky go through a lot, keeping her faith strong, because they discovered the friendship of Jesus. And the good news today is simply, it is within reach of all of us. But there are some who are quite content with a secondhand religion, and that for a couple of reasons. For one thing, it's safer. Your alarm went off today at the same time it does every Sunday morning, even though you don't set your alarm any other day, but you would sleep in if you really wanted to and probably could if you didn't set your alarm. You got up to the very same things you do every Sunday. You parked in the same parking place unless somebody, a visitor, took it. You came and sat in the same seat unless some visitor took it. I remember Kaufman's telling me after they joined our church, That some little old lady in our church tapped them on their first Sunday at church in the old building and said, you're sitting in my seat. (laughs) I don't know, but I probably wouldn't have come back to church had somebody treated me that way. You sing the same old hymns, you know what they are, you go through the routine, you even perhaps know the number. You can't wait to shake hands with people. And then rudely interrupted because Jim wants to start singing again. (laughs) We go through it all, the communion guys standing up and we take the loaf and the cup and we give the offering if we can. Some smart aleck ushers still today after 30 years shake the plate at me instead of my wife. She writes the checks. I wouldn't give as much as she does if I was doing it. We go through the same monotonous stand, listen, stand, sing, invite people to Christ, but nobody really comes. Same old thing, let's hurry up. How long's he going to go? We can beat the Baptist to the restaurant. Same old thing. And that's what many people want. You always know who you are with it. That second-hand religion, it's safer. Give us something more quieter, less dangerous and disturbing. Because this safer second-hand religion never breaks out with the sudden enthusiasm of somebody during a service saying, Amen. Amen. Who said that? Or how dare you raise your hand? I saw a great cartoon many years ago when we started having hand raisers at church. A little girl with her dad preacher. They were on the roller coaster going. Everybody had their hands up, but the preacher had his hands gripped on the roller. And she said, Daddy, it's okay to raise your hands. You know, but... So we settled down with our second-hand religion quite content. It's safer. But another reason attracts them too, and it's not only safer, it's also easier. It's more comfortable dealing with Christ by proxy than facing him alone by yourself. Kind of got into it with the clergy ministerial association up in Michigan for many reasons. They told me I had too many divorced people in my church that we were encouraging them to get a divorce, that having a daycare center, we were encouraging them to work and not stay home with their kids. And I said, well, wait a minute. If you would like to stay home with their kids, or not stay, if you would like to work, do their work, and." And they'd be happy to stay home with their kids. But they've got to earn some money to make a living. They used to condemn us by saying, Well, you don't have any rules and regulations in your churches like we do. It's easy to become a member of your church. And my response was always, Well, wait a minute. I think it's harder. It's easier when you tell people, How to look, how to dress, what to read, what to recite, what to believe. When our people have to decide for themselves. And maybe they'll change their mind once or twice back again. The Bible isn't written. Here's what you can do on one page. And here's what you cannot do on the second page. You have to decide for yourself. Do you remember the cry? Which again and again in the Gospels was on Jesus' lips when there was a needy soul to be saved. He simply said, bring him to me. Not bring him to my disciples. Not bring him to church. But to bring him to me. Now notice what Paul says in an unusual verse in 2 Corinthians, the 4th chapter, and the 6th verse. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. The only way to know anything about God is to see Jesus for yourself. Many Easter's ago, one of our first Easter's in our new facility, had a lot of visitors from the home out here east of town and they sat there and I watched one gentleman while our service was going on and, and he was just stone-faced and like, I don't want to be here and I wish I wasn't here. And I was looking out at him at the corner of my eye and I didn't know what happened. And suddenly his face changed. And then I realized what happened. The curtains behind me opened up. <laughs> And Kevin Peterson, dressed like Jesus, with outstretched arms, was there. And I never saw such a makeup of a person's face. And afterwards, I walked up to him. And the first thing he said, I saw Jesus. Again and again, the Bible drives it home to us that unless our faith is our own, it is dead. Paul in 2 Timothy says, I know whom I have believed. Peter says in 2 Peter, We did not follow cleverly invented stories, but we were eyewitnesses of the majesty, his majesty. In 1 John, John says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with our hands have touched. that we, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, and we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim it to you, the eternal life that was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father." And with his son, Jesus Christ. Always, it is a personal, immediate experience of Christ on which people build their wonderful case of their belief in Christ. Don't you want that? Aren't you tired of playing church? When I first came here, I remember, and I don't remember much, but you know that. I don't even remember yesterday. But uh, I remember at the old Weber Street Church where my dad preached in the 50s, my two brothers and my sister and I, we played church over in the old building. Now, my oldest brother, since he was the oldest, he played janitor because he was the janitor of the church. He was attending University of Illinois. Max had always wanted to be a preacher, so he stood up and preached. And my sister played the piano and she sang. What was there left for me to do? I was the baptizer. There wasn't a cat in East Urbana that would even hang around me, scared to death. What was going on? Let me suggest three reasons why we cannot be satisfied with a secondhand religion or faith. There is always something unreal about a faith like that. Repeating other people's words. They don't ring true. About 50 years ago. It's called a house in Grand Rapids. Their little boy said he wanted to be baptized. and He wouldn't leave his parents alone. He was attending another day. Midweek youth program at a church. There in their community. And they wanted me to talk to him. And. You know, 50 years ago, we didn't baptize little, real young ones like we're doing now, it seems like. But, you know, at that time, it was 12. You know, at 11, you didn't know anything about Christ. 12, all of a sudden, you knew everything about Christ, you know. And, you know remember those Remember those days? How many of us were baptized by when we were 12? You know? So I went in there, and I talked to him, and he couldn't answer anything. I usually, usually I have to talk to him in front of the parents because that assures them that they know what they're doing. And, and uh. So I asked him to leave the room and asked again, why do you want to be baptized? And then he went on like a robot. I'm a sinner, sinner saved by grace and I want Jesus Christ to be accepted to my life and whatever. And he just rolled on and on and on and on. He had memorized it through his youth group. And it scared me to death. So we sat down with him and we described a, a Bible reading program and, and the youth minister to be able to talk to him a little bit so that his faith would not be second hand. It is also insecure. If it's not your own, it's always at the mercy of doubts. And we see that many times when it comes to the days of trouble, at the hospital, surgeries, or bad news announced, or at the funeral home. And those who we thought were strong in the faith go completely berserk. It wasn't their own faith. And it's also incomplete. It always gives you the sense of something lacking. We see others and how different they seem to be. How radiant and sure. How unselfish and self-controlled. It reminds us the old psalmist who breaks out and says, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What would we not give for a firsthand faith like that? So we come to the practical question. How do we get that? You see, we'll never know till we have been where Paul's been and stood where John has stood, knelt where Mary Magdalene knelt. That is why there rings out again and again on the pages of the Bible a cry that simply says, come and see. Simon cried to Andrew, I found the Christ, come and see. The Samaritan woman who met Jesus at the well ran into the village and said come and see the man who told me all I ever did is not this the Christ. And the response remember later was now we believe not because you told us. For we have heard and seen him ourselves and know that this is the savior of the world. Yes somehow we got to get where Andrew was and Peter and those Samaritans. As close to Christ as that, but how? Well, like everything in the Bible, it seems too simple. I remember we used to talk to people about accepting Christ, and and they says, "Oh, that's too simple." There's certainly got to be more about it. They wanted something outstanding, or intellectual, or over-emotional. Pray this certain prayer. Or memorize this certain creed. Or the one I like best of all, give a large gift to the church. But sorry to say that won't save you. It'll be helpful to the church, not to you. But I kept thinking... What is it that we need to be doing? What is it that Satan keeps us from doing? The simple little things. Remember it was Jesus who taught us that unless we, be, we need to become more humble servants. Giving a cup of cold water. Giving the hungry something to eat. Or visiting the prisoner or the person in the hospital. Or passing out a piece of candy out in the foyer. So why do we expect that that Christ is going to make something tremendously difficult so that nobody could really understand what's going on? Since he always is tempting us not to follow Christ, maybe we need to keep following. One of my favorite songs is, I've decided to follow Jesus. You say you've never really touched Christ yet? Never looked into his eyes? Don't you understand that no one who has sought him has ever failed to find him? Keep following and keep praying. Often people say they do not pray because Christ is not real to them. And perhaps the truth is Christ is not real to them because they do not, pr- do not pray. The psalmist says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endureth forever. Not for material benefits do we give thanks, not for security or comfort or prestige or prosperity, but we give thanks to God and praise for him. For who he is. And what he's done. And last. Which I had to include. Because I have a friend that says. What are you preaching on? When I used to preach every Sunday. Remember that long time ago. Are you preaching on sin? Money or love? (laughs) So I decided to preach on all three today. And about every time I preach. We need to realize that the ultimate meaning of life is love. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gives us the offer. And you and I make the choice. Listen to what John says in the fourth chapter of 1 John. Dear friends, let us love one another... For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God, and whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And this is how God showed us love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins dear friends since god so loved us we also ought to love one another no one has ever seen god but if we love one another god lives in us and his love is made complete in us this is not what we achieve that matters but what God achieves through us. Now the unique thing in all of this is that we don't have to beg and plead for Christ to come and to save us. The uniqueness of the good news is why it's called good news in in the Bible, the Gospels, is that Jesus is calling out to us. Inviting us, no matter who you are, what you've ever done, to come to Him. Father, we thank you for that tremendous love and our desires to be more like you as we allow you to control our life and our thinking and our deeds. And our dealings with other people. That we may become more like you. For it's in Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. Our invitation is simply that you might come. And allow Jesus Christ. To be real within your life. That your faith might not only be a secondhand any longer. A second hand faith. But a first hand experience. Jesus is calling. We ask you to respond. Let's stand together as we sing.